This is Dr. Brian Gibbler. I'm Professor of Emergency Medicine at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine, President of MCREG International, and it is my great privilege today to have Dr. Natalie Kreitzer, who's a neurointensivist at the University of Cincinnati and Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine and NIH-funded investigator, and Dr. Deepak Bhatt. And Dr. Bhatt is Executive Director of Interventional Cardiology at the Brigham and Women's Hospital Heart and Vascular Center in Boston and Professor of Medicine Cardiology at Harvard Medical School. Welcome. We appreciate you being here. Great to be here. Um, we're talking about something that I think is, is would it be fair to say controversial? And the question is, is what, are, what role do uh, genetic polymorphisms play in the care of patients? In this case, uh, patients that have acute ischemic stroke and TIA, uh, as it relates to dual antiplatelet therapy and clopidogrel, versus uh, other agents, uh, P2Y12 inhibitors such as ticagrelor, not only in stroke, but also because Dr. Bod is an interventional cardiologist, we would like to get his perspective, and he has been uh, involved in this area for two decades. Is that fair to say, uh, Deepak? I think so. <laughs> so. Deepak, if you will take us back, and you you said that you know many many years ago, uh, while while you were uh, uh, at Cleveland Clinic, you actually looked at this area as it relates to clopidogrel, and the whole concept of of whether or not a patient is able to uh, appropriately metabolize uh, clopidogrel into an active uh, drug. And would you talk about that as it relates in, with dual antiplatelet therapy, what you've seen uh, with uh, ACS and relating to the number of trials that you've been involved with, but also the Themis trial, the most uh, recently published uh, with uh, ticagrelor and patients uh, with diabetes and stable coronary artery disease. Can you talk about uh, where we have come over this period of time, Deepak, uh, and our current understanding of this uh, of dual antiplatelet therapy, and what's what's the best approach, not only for uh, ACS, but in this case for uh, acute ischemic stroke, with what we know now? Yes, absolutely. It's a great question. Uh, it's a very far-reaching question. There's been a lot of progress made in our understanding of antithrombotic therapy in general, and antiplatelet therapy specifically. So I think what is clear is in high ischemic risk patients who are at an acceptable bleeding risk, so not at a high bleeding risk, in general, more potent antiplatelet therapy reduces important ischemic events, such as myocardial infarction, and ischemic stroke, and even peripheral limb events, though at the cost of increasing bleeding, including major bleeding, serious bleeding, transfusions, and also a very slight uh, increase in potentially fatal rentopenia bleeding, the magnitude of that typically being outweighed by the benefits in appropriately risk-stratified patients. So this is true, I think, across the board in acute coronary syndromes, in high-risk stable coronary artery disease, in patients who've undergone stenting procedures, and it extends even to patients in the world of ischemic stroke and high-risk TIA. So those are 
small areas where more intense antiplatelet therapy shines. The exact duration depends on the underlying condition. And a lot of the data started with clopidogrel as part of that antiplatelet therapy. That remains a good drug. It's safe, it's generic, therefore it's cheap, it's familiar, and around the world is commonly used. But there are some limitations to clopidogrel. It's not as potent as some other antiplatelet agents such as prasugrel or ticagrel. Both of those have been shown to be superior to clopidogrel in broad populations with acute coronary syndromes. In the context of our discussion, though, which is a bit more focused on stroke, prasugrel does have a black box warning in terms of patients with prior cerebrovascular disease. So even though it's a good antiplatelet agent uh, in some situations in the coronary world, it's not really appropriate in the cerebrovascular disease world. But with respect to ticagrelor, there's a lot of new data that's come out. Uh, the thallus trough, for example, uh, and as it pertains to coronary artery disease, you asked about the femis trough. If the audience hasn't heard about it, it's the largest trial of diabetes ever done. Uh, it specifically examined patients with diabetes and stable coronary artery disease defined as angiographic stenosis of 50% or more, but without a known prior MI or stroke. And the overall trial was positive, showing a significant reduction in ischemic events, in particular significant reductions in MI, in ischemic stroke, and even in severe peripheral limb ischemic events. So all three material territories protected, uh, and that led to a broad label expansion. So I think in the right patients stratified by clinical risk, that is their ischemic risk being high and their bleeding risk being low, those are the best sort of patients for intensification of their antiplatelet regimen. Uh, Deepak, just a follow-up with that. Uh, was intracranial bleeding a, 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 an issue at all in the Themis trial as it relates to the severe bleeding that you talked about? Absolutely. There was a small but statistically significant increase in intracranial hemorrhage. And it's interesting, the vast majority of those events were traumatic subdural hematomas. So, you know, we, in a lot of older trials, it wasn't really finely characterized exactly what is meant by intracranial bleed, uh, because it can mean a lot of different things. And here it was predominantly uh, traumatic subdural. So ever since I was unblinded to those data, the, the data published in the human journal, but when I was first unblinded from that minute, I started telling my patients something I never told them before. I tell the ones on dual antiplatelet therapy, just as I'd always been telling the ones on anticoagulants, look, if you're riding a bike or skiing or something, wear a helmet. You, know, you, you both are emergency medicine physicians, you're probably laughing because you tell every patient that. Of course, every patient should do that, but not everyone does. But, but I say, look, if you're on an anticoagulant or on DAPT, dual antiplatelet therapy, take that advice seriously. You really should be wearing a helmet in those situations, especially if you're an older patient like the ones I'm treating. You probably shouldn't be climbing a ladder to fix the roof anyway, but if you're on these forms of therapy, definitely don't do those sorts of things. And you know, use common sense to avoid situations where you might hit your head. And that can do a lot, I think, to mitigate that excess risk. But nevertheless, in terms of the Themis trial, the reduction in ischemic stroke outweighed that small numerical increase. Uh, it was statistically significant, but in absolute terms, smaller than the reduction in ischemic stroke. Well, it's interesting that you, you talked about uh, traumatic brain injury since Dr. Kreitzer's uh, NIH-sponsored work is in this area. And Natalie, if you can just talk a, a little bit as a neurointensivist, 
what are the issues with with dual antiplatelet therapy from your perspective and and what are you hoping to accomplish with the patient how long would you like that patient to be treated uh post the first ischemic event be it a small stroke by NINDS score five or less or TIA. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. So it's going to be just a subset of patients that are really going to be the best candidates for this dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, so these are patients and both the point trial, which looked at clopidogrel plus aspirin, as well as thallus um, with ticagrelor plus aspirin. Um, these are patients, as you mentioned, with an NIH stroke scale of zero to five or a high risk TIA that are going to be the candidates for this short period of time on dual antiplatelet therapy. The piece that's um, a bit unique about ischemic stroke is that um, after a mild stroke or high-risk TIA, the risk of stroke recurrence is really the highest in that first month after the event. Um, so capturing those first 30 days is probably the most critically important. 10% um, of repeat strokes are within the first week, and 15% are within that first month. Um, so that's why it's really important for it to just be that brief period of time to capture the advantage um, without starting to really have a lot more of the unnecessary complications of bleeding that might come with it for a longer period of time. So from the standpoint of acute stroke treatment um, and the neurointensive care unit, um, the types of patients that we're going to look for for that dual antiplatelet therapy um, within those first 12 to 24 hours um, are going to be the ones with the higher ABCD2 scores, um, those who do not have a cardioembolic source for which they need anticoagulated, um, those patients who don't need a, um, a carotid endarterectomy within the next three days for which you have to stop the dual antiplatelet therapy, um, or those who have other contraindications for dual antiplatelet therapy. Those are kind of the big buckets of patients that we're looking for. Do you have, and just one follow-up with that, is that a, a problem when you're stopping, say you're doing a, a coronary procedure or something on a particular patient that has, that's on dual antiplatelet therapy, you stop clopidogrel uh, you know, for three or four days before you, you do that, uh, that particular procedure. Have you noticed that that, that has been a, a real problem as far as, as the untoward events in those patients? Has that been something that, that uh, either neurologists or neurointensivists are concerned about or if you're concerned, Deepak, is that something that you really are concerned about decreasing, uh, you know, taking a patient off therapy for three or four days? Yeah, absolutely. This comes up all the time um, in clinical practice. For example, you know, a patient who needs uh, on clinical grounds a left main you know bifurcation stent not a surgical candidate uh, has to be done uh, you put the stents in that's a lot of metal high uh, thrombogenic risk and obviously a left main stent thrombosis would be out of hospital sudden cardiac death so you know there you really don't want to interrupt the dual antiplatelet therapy early but let's say that patient falls hip fracture uh, can't uh, really wait too long before going to the OR or they're not going to walk again so or not walk properly again. So there, you know, the surgeon's probably not going to feel comfortable operating. Maybe you insist operate on DAP. They say they won't do it. You know, what can you do? That gets to be really tricky. But there are some potential solutions out there. For example, you know, there are short-acting intravenous ADP receptor antagonists, Kangalore, for example, is a 
got broad approval uh, for PCI on the basis of the Champion Phoenix trial, uh, as published in the England Journal, uh, its use in the context I mentioned as a bridging strategy is off-label. It was studied in a small trial, but but is off-label, but is you know commonly uh, done in that sort of situation. Another thing I'll mention: this isn't ready for prime time. It's an investigational agent. Uh, Bentracinib uh, is in fact a ticagrelor reversal agent. So the ticagrelor, as you know, is uh, in terms of its receptor kinetics, a reversible oral ADP receptor right. antagonist. Clopidogrel and prasugrel, uh, and for that matter, aspirin are all irreversible antiplatelet agents. And in terms of their half-life, that may or may not be so, so relevant. But in terms of the ability to reverse it, a monoclonal antibody has been developed, and Trasimib that, uh, if desired, can fully and almost immediately reverse Ticagrelor's effect. So uh, we're actually studying this in a phase three trial called Reverse It right now. So if that trial is positive and shows that the drug is effective at uh, reducing uh, the degree of ticagrelor effect in patients that are undergoing emergency surgery or in bleeding, you know, hopefully it'll get approved. We did already publish the phase one data in New England Journal uh, showing that in healthy human volunteers, it can successfully reverse ticagrelor. So in the future, in the scenario described, if the patient's on ticagrelor, maybe you can reverse it with the agent, do the hip surgery, and then start the agent back up again. Excellent. Thank you all very much. Dr. Kreitzer, Dr. Bott, this has been uh, wonderful being with you today. Very, very much appreciate your input on this very important issue as far as dual antiplatelet therapy. Thank you. Great, thank, thank you. you.